This podcast is supported by an educational grant by Bosch Health, made available through the CDA Corporate Supporter Program. I think COVID-19 really has impacted not only our clinical care, but in a big way, our education delivery uh, at all levels. And so one of the things that I guess I'm most proud of in dermatology is how quickly we as a group pivoted to really be able to deliver education in an appropriate, relevant, innovative way. And, And we did that at a national level. Well, that's a familiar voice for many of you. That's Dr. Carrie Purdy. She's host of Dermalogs, our CDA sister podcast, designed specifically for residents, but uh, those of us that are out of practice can access it too on uh, our iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. She's also an assistant professor and division head of dermatology at Dalhousie University. She's our guest today on JCMS Author Interviews. Um, She and her co-authors published an article um, entitled Medical Student and resident dermatology education in Canada during the COVID-19 pandemic. We put this in our July-August 2021 issue. Our job today is to talk to Carrie and make this article uh, come alive and see what the future holds for us. But, But just before we get started, I want to remind you again that these podcasts are linked to articles in our journal and the the journal articles are available outside the paywall for approximately three weeks after the podcast has been first posted. So uh, please read the articles, listen, and hopefully be entertained. So Carrie, thanks for joining us. Uh, You're an educator. COVID-19 must have been a big deal for you guys as educator clinicians, if if I could use that term. And, um, Medical Student Resident Dermatology Education in Canada During the COVID Pandemic was the title of the article. I'm interested in not only what you did, but what it taught us, what the future holds for education. And I thought there'd be no better person to make this article come alive and tell us what our future will look like. Well, thanks, Kirk. And, and, and thanks for having me as a guest. It's kind of interesting to be on this side of the podcast table. So, you know, I, I appreciate you having me as a guest. To your point, yeah. I think COVID-19 really has impacted not only our clinical care, but a big in a big way, our education delivery uh, at all levels. And so one of the things that I guess I'm most proud of in dermatology is how quickly we as a group, I hate this term, but I'm going to use it anyway, pivoted to really be able to deliver education um, in an appropriate, um, relevant innovative way. And and we did that at a national level. And so, you know, I think in terms of all the different people who are now doing virtual education and have really glommed on to virtual, I think we were really early on there. Like, I think we were ahead of the crowd. And um, I say we because this was definitely not driven solely by me. I think it was maybe more facilitated by me and the other um, authors on the paper Really, we all came together as a group to make a lot of these initiatives happen. Was this developing new things or was this developing and maturing older things out that worked well, you know, identified that would work well, did identifying what the gaps were? And I don't want to use this term either, but uh, is this just another tool in your toolbox, if you will? And uh... <laughs> Yeah, I do. I think it is another tool in the toolbox and I think it has a role going forward. And so, and a little bit of both to your question. So, you know, a little bit of 
um, some things that we were already doing that we just transitioned over to, to a virtual world and some things that we um, started afresh or started new. And a, a few of these ideas did have a little bit of, um, I guess they were maybe the ideas were born before COVID hit. And so the idea of say like a national resident uh, boot camp that was something that had come up in fall 2019 as a wouldn't it be great for us to do this and I think having a pandemic happen and having access to virtual um, ways to teach and having people be comfortable with that way of learning it really let us leap right into that and have it be something that happened in 2020 where you know thinking about it to be honest it may have actually taken longer to get some of those things off the ground had it not been for the pandemic and so yeah the, yeah. the pandemic is an accelerator absolutely really, and it totally accelerated this yeah and i think for us you know in dermatology because we're a relatively small group in canada it allowed us that opportunity to collaborate across the country with learners with other physicians um the the program that the cda rfs developed which was the rash it was basically the review for exams. Um, and so they basically got the opportunity here from experts like across the country at access with, you know, a finger snap. And that's not the kind of thing that they would have had access to uh, in years past. So I think it, it's really an accelerator and it it broadens who you're able to hear from in a really easy way. How did you manage zoom and zoom fatigue and putting people in front of screens for hours uh, i mean educators will tell you I, I think and i'm assuming you pass this by people who educate for a living and think about those things they what do they tell you about attention span i mean in cme we learn make it short make it pertinent and have lots of variation so you know to be honest we we didn't really do that we just sort of dove in thinking Either we do it this way or nothing happens. And so, you know, because as many educational programs and residency programs, including locally at Dalhousie, just ground to a stop, right? They completely ground to a halt. Um, and so rather than be too concerned about that right from the get-go, we just sort of jumped in. And early on, people didn't have that Zoom fatigue. And I don't think there was quite as much... Um, people weren't being quite as inundated with all the different virtual opportunities. I think uh, throughout the process, we did learn um, some of those things that you're alluding to, which is, you know, you do want to keep things short. You don't want one speaker to drone on for two hours at a time. Um, using visual aids is very helpful. But I would say that from a residency perspective in, in Durham, in Canada, people really were eager to learn from all these different people, even if it meant they had to sit in front of a screen. So fortunately for us, it wasn't a huge issue. And I don't personally mind Zoom. As a person okay. on the East Coast that used to have to travel a lot to meet with colleagues, I don't, it's not so bad. I mean, I'd like to do a little in person again, obviously, but uh, it could be worse. I'm actually a fan of Zoom. Yeah. Um, and coming from the West Coast, um, to go for a four-hour meeting in central Canada takes two days. 
Um, and um, all the travel entailed and the fatigue and all that sort of stuff and away from family. So, so yes, zoomed properly. Uh, I think it probably works pretty well. Now, um, when when Zoom virtual is all you got, it's pretty terrific. But what do you think? You think mm-hmm. once we get, oh, I don't want to say those words again because we've heard it too often. When we rethink <laughs> this, do you think? How much virtual do you think will be in a resident? Let's stick to the resident for the moment. How much virtual is going to be in their world? I think a significant amount. So I I don't think it's going to be nothing. I'm probably thinking, you know, in an ideal world, in my mind, 50-50. You know, 50% in-person learning. One of the great things that's always been a case, or that we've always done here, at least in Halifax. I know they do it in Ottawa. I know very a variety of other programs do this is live patient rounds. And that's one thing I really have been missing. And I think that it is invaluable for residency education to do those live patient rounds where you can see the patient, touch the lesion, talk about morphology, discuss it with your colleagues. And so that nothing can really replace that piece. However, um, what I mentioned earlier, which is that ability to hear from the really expert contact dermatitis person or the really expert hair person and have that equal access across the country really probably will remain virtual. And I think that there is still absolutely a role for that. Um, It also allows when people are doing, so currently what we've been doing in Halifax has been on and off, for example. And I mean, we're talking about the paper, which was national, but I can at least tell you from a local level where our epidemiology has been low at many times and we have been able to gather, we do more or less of a hybrid. Um, And so we still do things virtually. If people are doing rotations in other places, um, people sometimes go to, say, Cape Breton locally, um, they can still log on and they can still get all the learning. Whereas a couple of years ago, they would have just missed academic half day for the two months that they were away. I, I do think it's a good time to think about something hybrid to leverage some of the national programs um, and then to do things in person, probably yeah. at a more local level. But I see this as something that we will add in that does provide uh, a lot of value in the virtual world. Well, I'll tell you, as a practitioner, when I switched to virtual, it was all, you know, huge learning how to do it. And I tried various <laughs> ways. And, you know, the, and I'm sure you found this. The simplest way was to have somebody send you a picture and you could. And yes. I think that's because that's how I learned is from pictures, like mm-hmm. a lot of pictures. Right. So what I'm thinking is the 50 percent virtual that our residents have is probably going to help them because things look different on a camera and they look different virtually. And yes, I need yeah. to learn what. X looks like virtually now. Um, and I think that'll, uh, I, I agree with you. I think a yeah. lot of this is going to be virtual, not not because we like it, but because our patients like it. Well, that's just it. You know, I think virtual care is not going to go anywhere. And in particular for remote and underserviced communities that really haven't had access that now have access, you know, it, it would be uh, terrible to take that away. And so you're right. You know, we've always talked about wanting to improve our access to to various like remote and underserviced communities. This allows us to do that, but you do have to work that into your learning in terms of like, how do you assess somebody over the phone with a photo? Or can you do that on a platform like Zoom? You know, spoiler alert, not really very well, um, but there are some better platforms that work. And so I agree with you. 
as a group, we need to ensure that our learners learn how to integrate that into their learning so that they can provide that as practitioners when they're done, for sure. Yeah, well, I, I know um, Dr. Louie talks about the theater of the exam room <laughs> and how we really missed it, you know, and, and now we have to learn the theater of the virtual exam room, yeah. if you will, right, and how, how to manage that and how to not let all the privacy things and all the other things that that the privacy folks are just horribly intense about um, how they just they mm-hmm. destroy the interaction a lot of the time and don't allow you to do things that uh, that you know we would um, just normally do in our exam For rooms. Sure. And of course, it's in theory just all private there, but For still. sure. So, so tell me, did medical students lose a year? No. Uh, well, so medical students across the board, for, at least from my understanding, lost clinical times. They lost clinical clerkship time in person, but um, delivery of education was still virtual. So for here, we were doing uh, lectures virtually. We were doing small groups virtually, um, using photographs to try to teach dermatology. Uh, but they did, there were probably a cohort that lost a fair chunk of their first clinical clerkship year, um, at least in, in programs where there was four years. And I suspect the same would go for programs that were three years, probably really did impact their clinical learning. But I think most regions had slightly different rules in terms of what uh, medical students were allowed to do in person. So the least impact, if you will. As the least as, yeah, as po- as possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but compared to the residents who really needed that year to touch and feel and smell and do all those other in-person sort of learning things. Yeah, I mean, I think I think at the end of the day, presumably the medical students will have an opportunity to catch that up during their residency. I think the biggest impact for medical students and for programs, if we're talking about education at at a sort of general level, was the uh, CARMS match. And so, you know, you're looking at a, a group of students that didn't have opportunities to go do clinical electives. And so therefore programs didn't have an opportunity to meet them or work with them or get to know them. Um, And then the entire CARMS process was also virtual uh, that, you know, at some, to some extent likely had some hiccups. And so it was a bit of a, uh, a different year, I think, for resident selection. And that is probably where medical students were most impacted. Okay, well, listen, let me turn back to the article. You have a nice table here. <laughs> yes, and, yes. And, and the table outlines the initiatives. And um, in the far right column, it says future plans in your table, right? So so when we look at all yeah. these things, um, I guess what I'm hearing is they're all you're going to keep them all and refine them as we go forward. That's the plan for sure. So, yeah. you know, if you look at the table... The National Lecture Series, the Procedural Lecture Series, the Virtual Boot Camp, um, and the RASH, the Academic Study Hour, those are all things that were really well received by residents. Um, And I think they would certainly like those to continue. And I, for one, would love to see those continue. And that's the plan for them to continue. The Resident Boot Camp was already... um, 
2021, we did, we redid resident boot camp. Um, and by we, I mean the CDA RFS. So I, w- I don't want to take credit for their initiative, but uh, that was run again, successfully again um, for its second year. So, you know, these things are happening in real time as well. And um, and then we're hoping to get the uh, Dermorphic Challenge uh, going as well. That was um, an initiative of Dr. Louis. So let's talk for a minute about Dermalogs. Um, it's sure. a great initiative. Um, I, I, I think it's certainly well received if we look at the numbers, right? People, people like to hear your interaction with experts across our country. So I think this has been super positive. Um, are you going to make changes to it or just uh, keep on with the excellence? And what's your plans for the futures for it? I'll let you. And, and, uh, the, other, and the other question I have, Carrie, for you is how do I sign up? <laughs> well, now that we've done this first crossover, Kirk, I think uh, I think we need to do a reverse crossover where I interview you as the JCMS editor in chief. Yeah. Uh, so, I'll, you know, we'll we'll be in touch. But um, you know, thanks for those kind words. I, I'm surprised at how many people tolerate listening to my voice over and over again. But uh, you know, I think it, it has been well received based on the um, excellent guests that have agreed to to speak with me. And I do think that keeping it similar, you know, I'm, I'm kind of of the mind, like if it's not broken, don't fix it. And so currently we're recording season three. We do have a plan for season three and four. Um, and I'm, I'm much keeping it the same, to be honest, you know, talking, keeping it conversational. Uh, we did a great, um, episode with, um, Jeff Donovan about hair. Uh, one is being posted today, actually, with uh, Dr. Ramin about pediatric dermatology. Um, and so we're still just trying to hit those highlights of areas that the residents don't consistently have access to in their own centers. But uh, it's a lot of fun, and uh, I learn a lot every time. That is the best part of being on this side of the mic, isn't it? <laughs> you, 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 you That's really right, absolutely. And so, so tell me, how do how do people that aren't yeah. residents access Dermalog? Literally access it? Oh, oh, you mean like literally access it? Uh, so yeah, it's it's basically it's basically anywhere that you download a podcast. So you know whether it's like Apple. Chrome or Google, iTunes, iTunes, iTunes yeah. Spotify, all yeah. those. Yeah, iTunes. thanks. You know yeah. better than me. I don't, see. I don't even know how to no, access a podcast. <laughs> Jeez, exactly. um, I get mine on iTunes, and uh, and then you know, yeah. for people that um, uh, that like it, they can subscribe, and then that way, when new uh, episodes come up, they they get a um, you know a little note on their phone or wherever they listen, and says you know new episode has been uploaded. So. Perfect. Yeah. Well, it's 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 great. I mean, yeah. it's uh, it's been a great initiative, and uh, I think we could all stand to go back to school. I mean, and and, and you know, you get out, you get out <laughs> and practice. Now I'm out of fair ways, but I remember thinking out about year ten to year fifteen, thinking to myself, now is the time I need to go back to school. That's right about where I am, Kirk. So it's interesting yeah. that you say that because this morning one of our residents was presenting basic science on uh, keratinocyte biology, and I thought, huh. Yeah, I don't remember any of this. Uh, I should probably read a book again. So uh, I think that timing's just about right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it may not be that you don't remember it. It may It's changed. That's the other piece. In 10 years, That right? is the other piece. You're right. You know, things yeah. are a lot different. Um, you know, therapeutics have exploded. Uh, you know, knowledge of basic science has exploded. Genetics, like it's just, I don't know how they do it. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I don't know how these residents keep that in their brain. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that I'm done. Yes, Yes. And, and, and it's a different world of, 
um, information retrieval too. You know, so so yes. you you yeah. you know we have you and I sort of never stopped book learning, if you will, um, and we knew where the books were. Correct. And you knew yep. on your shelf, and you had your yeah you know your tabs and things. Um, these guys, uh, as I see them, um, it's on their phone. Oh, or their iPad, right? And they, and they know where they store it. For me, I've got yeah. you know ten thousand photographs, and I couldn't find one, <laughs> you know, um, because I haven't I haven't thought ahead to organizing it. Right? Oh yeah, listen, I'm I'm right there with you. I was like the queen of highlighters and tabs, so I, I don't know what I would do if it was on a, a screen. I just I need that. I need the physicality of turning the page of a book. Yeah, yeah, and so um, maybe that I'll do the podcast on that. How do how do new learners learn? Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. I'm there we go. We're all set. Okay. Well, listen, in the world of COVID, that's again, uh, I'm sorry to take you so far away from your, from your article, but in the world of COVID, um, we're not through it. Um, this is going to keep going for years yeah. and years and years in one way or another. Um, we've got a nice virtual platform that you're going to, or multiple platforms that you're going to start to, um, to really bring into norm, if you will, it'll be the way that we teach. Um, are there ways to have these programs evaluated? Do you go and do you go and hire educators to come in and say, okay, this is how we do it. I mean, there's enough of them. You probably don't have to hire them. They'll probably be interested in getting involved, right? Because it's innovative and you've been an innovator in this field. And and I, again, I don't want to take personal, uh, you know, I, I really do think that this was a significantly a group project. And I, I really do want to applaud in particular um, the co-chairs of the uh, CDA RFS, uh, RFS that really did spearhead a lot of these programs. And that was uh, Malika Lada and Danny Mansour at the time. And they really did take the proverbial bull by the horns and just like really make these things happen. And I facilitated, um, but I think they really, really, really made it happen. And I, that for me, that's awesome too, because these are, you know, up and coming um, residents who will be our colleagues and who can continue to bring forth these initiatives and make them happen um, to the, to the extent with which, how do you evaluate? I think, I think that's a great question. And I guess my answer is I'm not totally sure, you know, I don't know if it's necessary to be really formal about it. I do think there's a lot of people in dermatology in particular that have an interest in medical education or maybe have had some extra um, training or, or ideas about medical education. So this was, if you look at the, um, uh, the list of authors on this paper, most of us are program directors. Um, and so, you know, it was just a nice group of people who really are passionate about ensuring that residents still had access to excellent education initiatives at a time when that wasn't necessarily going to be the case. Um, so to answer that, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, you know, eventually when things do become um, we ha we have evaluated them to the level of you know we ask the the participants to evaluate each episode or each experience or each ra uh, sorry each lecture each experience the boot camp etc and so we can build on that feedback um, for following years but in terms of like a more formal evaluation I time will tell <laughs> I guess okay yeah well it's I guess as long as your audience is appreciative. Um... It's when that drops off, I guess, uh, people vote with their ears these days. So. 
Yeah, that's a fair point. And you, I, I do think that you mentioned it at the very beginning, but I do think that Zoom fatigue um, is a thing. And I think that if you compare, you know, November 20, well, I, it's probably better to go April. So like April 2020 versus April 2022 or 2021. <laughs> Whoops, I just skipped a whole year there. I just want to pretend like it's not happening. Um, you know, then the options that residents and and staff had in terms of what they could attend virtually or learn about or webinars, like it just exploded, right? And so um, I think if you look back to April 2020, when we started doing some of these things and and doing cross collaborative uh, resident half days and academic time and all this, um, it was really innovative at the time, it may seem less innovative. Now, people maybe aren't listening as much. But I think once things hopefully like kind of reset to some level that some of these initiatives do go on. And so especially say the boot camp or the procedural lecture series or the, the exam prep sessions, because I think those are things that do add value and they're nice to do at a national level. And the really only way to do that is, is virtually practically speaking. So how do you encourage interactivity? I mean, that's the bit where Zoom falls and people are shy. And I've attended enough of these to know that there's usually one or two people like myself who talk all the time. And there's one or two people who never talk. And um, and then they use the yeah. chat room to tell jokes. So it, I, I, yeah. I just that's the that's the failing of that platform, um, I think, is how to engage and maybe just smaller numbers. But uh, have you had any thoughts? Yeah, I agree. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously one of the, the talk, the talking people too. So sometimes I think, sometimes I actually have to say to myself, okay, Carrie, don't say anything. Try to let someone else speak. And then inevitably my, my mouth opens and I talk again. But, you know, I do think that that is a downfall of these platforms. I do think smaller groups, if you really want to be interactive is the way to go, because um, it's an easier way for people to talk. You know, you're, you spend a lot of time on these going, oh, I, no, I, oh, no, you, uh, you know, and so, um, which is a challenge that you don't necessarily have in, in real life. Uh, I do think for some of these things, though, that are more didactic based that I'm, I'm not against didactic teaching. So therefore, maybe this is why I like um, some of these things, you know, some of it really is um, more of an osmosis, you can sit back, you can listen, you can take notes, you can read about it, but you don't necessarily have to interact. I think if we were um, required to only do things virtually and we did need to do things that are interactive. So, for example, what we do locally with our small group academic half day, you know, there's eight to 10 residents on there and you really can say, okay, well, you know, what do you think? What do you think? Would you want to make a comment? And it allows people to have an opportunity to talk. Um, but I think it's a nice mixture in some of these programs where you can just, the residents can just listen or ask questions if they see fit, but they don't have to interact for all of them. And, you know, this is my personal bias, but, you know, I think that didactic teaching is sort of like a dirty word sometimes in academia. And I, I don't, think it should be. I I like listening to lectures and I learned a lot when I listened to lectures. Um, and I know that people learn in different ways, so it's nice to have different options, but uh, that's my that's my bias. Well, I share it, but maybe that speaks to how I learned everything. I mean, I sat in yeah. a room and read a book like you like you did with a highlighter, right? And um, yeah. and yeah. you went to lectures not to not to not to tell people what you thought of their lecture. But 
to listen to their lecture, what they had to say, right? And and um, no, I I agree. And yeah. and, there, and in dermatology, there's an incredible amount of content. And as you're alluding to, there's even you know, oh. quadruple to over ten times, whatever number it is. But it still um, requires um, some interaction from people like yourself uh, to add rank ordering and priorities to these uh, discussions. Or else, they, or else you get lost in the forest, um, and you, you just you just yes. wander aimlessly, learning minutia that will never help you become YouTube smart. I mean, you can you can tell somebody in a conversation that's gone to YouTube the day before, yeah. uh, because they'll want to switch the topic back to that uh, that YouTube thing that they just heard. Yeah. You know? So you gotta we've got to find a way to get that information stuck inside. You know. Yeah, like just yeah. distill it down and then lead the focus on what should be because you're right the volume is incredible in dermatology you know i did internal medicine first it's not that there wasn't a lot of volume there was but i i tell this to residents and i mean it my exams were harder and i had to learn more detailed things for my dermatology exam than my internal medicine exam and that's and and it's even more so today than that than it was yeah, a few years ago at this point. I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, therein the val- is the value of a good didactic lecture from someone yes. you respect who has done the job um, that could give you um, that could give give you focus, and then you learn that. And if you want to learn, you know, the minutia, go ahead. If you got the if you got the intellectual capability yeah. of doing that, uh, go for it. If you got the brain yeah. space, you know, pack it in there. But uh, some of us don't. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, thanks very much. That was great. The future looks bright. I'm really keen to sign up to Dermalogs again for season three. Um, I do learn something every time <laughs> I listen to one of my colleagues. I think it's the best way to learn. So thank you very much. I agree with you. Thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, again, this was a this is a team effort and we've got some really fantastic colleagues across the country and residents that are very passionate about making sure that this um, is a priority. So, you know, I want to, I want to thank my co-authors first and foremost, and, um, and thank you for having me on today. You're very welcome. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that was Carrie Purdy, who you recognize as the host of the CDA Residence Podcast, Dermalogs. Uh, Carrie was very keen to recognize her co-authors in this article, and I think together uh, they created a very nice snapshot for us of dermatology education during the uh, COVID pandemic. Well, as before, please review us. Uh, it gives us a, b- a bigger international audience and gets our discussions out and about. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Uh, share this with your colleagues and, uh, dare I say, share it on social media. I'm Kirk Barber. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, be good to each other. Bye.